Ashton can win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. That front gets pressure, collapses the pocket, and wrecks quarterbacks. This is the Faithful Fanatic Podcast with Nick and Marco. We're getting ready for a big Sunday night showdown against the Rams. The Los Angeles Rams traveling to Santa Clara to play the 49ers. And if last week was not do or die as far as the 2020 season goes, this week certainly is. This game has so many implications if the 49ers win this game they're three and three they can certainly make the playoffs with a three and three record but if you fall the two and four the season's over it's difficult enough to make the rec the postseason excuse me with a two and four record and that's not even taking into consideration the fact that this team after this game has to play the patriots the seahawks the packers the saints the rams again then the bills so this is the definition of a make or break game. We said that last week against the Dolphins, but this time around, there's still hope. And all that hope single-handedly rests on the shoulders of this game. Absolutely. I mean, last week we said that there, that game was make or break and it would determine the rest of the season. But in all honesty, this is a game that honestly could do that because they could completely turn around their season playing the division opponent, Los Angeles Rams, who – Look really, really good. Um, so they could turn their season around by getting a big win and making a statement like, whoa, we could turn around this ship and we could head in the right direction. So there's a lot of things that could go on. Um, looking forward to it on Sunday night in the throwback uniforms. It should be a lot. It should be really interesting to see the 49 The all-whites. Yep. The all-whites. They brought great luck to the team last year. They played in them against the Panthers. They played in them week 17 against the Seahawks. So we'll see if any of that 2019 mojo comes about this game against the Rams with the all-white uniforms. But you nailed it. If the 49ers win this game, if you win this game against the Rams, the best team that you've played this far, a team that has a 4-1 and one record, you've just built so much confidence going into the game against the Patriots in New England. And then, of course, you play Seattle. So going into that stretch, this game is huge. If you can get a win here for the sake of confidence and just turning around the feeling in the building and really putting yourselves back on the map. Cause right now the 49ers are on the verge of no longer being a relevant team. As far as the 2020 season goes, yes, they had a successful campaign last year, but fast forward eight months, this team is struggling and they completely, they can completely turn things around with the win. What do they have to do to win this game? In order to win the game, you, you must get, Give Raheem Mostert 25 carries. He must Absolutely. have he must have 25 carries. Um, he has to have at least 150 rushing yards in order for the 49ers to win this game. Because what they do is you can control the tempo of this game, control the physicality of this game, keep Aaron Donald away from Jimmy Garoppolo, and literally ground that defense into the ground and show them that this is not the team that everyone thinks they are. Everyone thinks the 49ers are a joke. They really do. They just lost to the Philadelphia Eagles, who look terrible the first couple weeks. They lost to the Miami Dolphins, who aren't that great of a team. So blown right now, out. yeah, exact, exactly, blown out. So that's one of those things where they could show something, and I think this team might have a chip on its shoulder. They finally have a little something to play for right now. I really want to see just the attitudes that they show on the field that's just as important to me as anything else how is this team going to come back after getting embarrassed absolutely embarrassed by the miami dolphins i want to see their attitudes on the field if they're playing with a sense of urgency if they're still going 100 percent full effort keeping their heads up high because i don't feel that sense of urgency just listening to the press conferences throughout the week it still seems like players have this delusional view of the season that although it's not ideal to have a two and three record, they're doing everything they can. 
and things just aren't falling into place. But if they keep doing what they're doing, things will turn around. And it's kind of concerning to me, the lack of leadership that's been in the 49ers building. You have guys like Trent Williams and Mike McGlinchey, two team captains, guys that wear the C patch on their chest, indicating that they were voted on as team captains by their teammates, saying that they feel like they're having good seasons. When you turn on the tape, they're getting beat time and time again. There's a lack of accountability in Santa Clara, and it's trickling down from Kyle Shanahan, who has a hard time admitting when he's wrong, onto their players. And I'm concerned about that in the long haul, but a win against the Rams would go a long way towards putting some of that stuff to rest. But on the other side of that coin, things might get ugly if the 49ers lose this game. So a lot is at stake right now, not just for the sake of the win-loss record, but all things considered. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you go ahead and talk about the leadership, and there was a quote that um, George Kittle said. He said he spoke to Joe Staley, who he's asking for advice on leadership. And he said, look, we have a really young team leadership standpoint. If you look at Mike McGlinchey, he's never had to be a leader on the team because he had Joe Staley. Fred Warner is going in, becoming a leader. He is. You have George Kittle, who is still relatively young in the, in the aspect of he's had other guys to rely on to be the team leader. They're missing Richard Sherman, who normally is the vocal leader of this team. So George Kittle reached out to Joe Staley and asked him, and Joe Staley said, look, man, I held you guys accountable when I was there. Someone needs to hold everyone accountable. And George said that this week they held everyone accountable to what they're supposed to do. He's holding everyone to a higher standard. And he said that, um, quote, I must hold everyone to the standard that we hold ourselves to. And that's one of the biggest things I think for me when I heard George Kittle say that um, was, was big because you have someone who is the best player at his position in the NFL, and he knows he needs to become a leader and step up. And I think he did the right thing of reaching out to former left tackle Joe Staley and trying to make this week at practice what it needed to be in order to be successful moving forward. And, of course, this past offseason, the 49ers lost two of their main leaders last season and Joe Staley, who retired, and DeForest Buckner, who was traded to the Colts. So I'm in agreement with you that George Kittle seems to me that he's the one team captain, the one captain, in addition to Richard Sherman, although we're not seeing too much of Richard Sherman right now because of the injury, that kind of understands what it means to be a leader. I know Trent Williams was a team captain for the Washington football team, but that whole organization has been just discombobulated for so long that who really knows how much power he had in the locker room. But George Kittle, he was on CBS the other day on one of their shows and said, our offense is fully healthy. There's no excuses for us to turn to right now. On the offensive side of the ball, there are no injuries. We have our ideal starting lineup out there. And for, from my perspective, I appreciate that. It's someone just saying, I'm not going to make excuses for what's going on. We know we're not playing to the level that we're supposed to be playing at. It's okay to admit that. There's nothing wrong. The 49ers players keep taking all this criticism from the media and from journalists, beat writers to heart. And it's like just, it's part of the beat writing job, the media job to critique your play on the field, especially when you're getting paid millions and millions and millions of dollars for the whole world to see you playing a football game. And what they're doing is they're paying attention to things that are being said about them, or they're taking it personally and getting upset over it instead of focusing on getting better each and every week. And for me, it's just something that's concerning. Like Mike McGlinchey made a comment yesterday at his press conference that he feels like there's armchair quarterbacks on Twitter that feel like they see how he's playing or they just assume he's having a rough season because of one clip they see on Twitter. But I went back, there was two plays on. There was consecutive plays, back-to-back -back snaps, when C.J. Beathard is leading his comeback bid against the Eagles on second and third down, I believe it was. There's less than 20 seconds in the game, and Mike McGlinchey gives up two pressures in a row. It's like, Mike, it's not just two clips, two bad plays where you look terrible in pass protection. It's a season-long issue. It's been an issue over the course of the last three years. Since you've been drafted, since you started playing right tackle for this team, since you stepped in at right tackle, which has pretty much been his whole career, it's an ongoing issue. It's just like, come out and say you're not satisfied with your play. 
It's not all bad. We know that. No one's saying you're the worst right tackle on the planet. You're a good run blocker, but your pass protection is awful. It's okay to own that and just say you're trying to get better. Instead of saying, aside from those one or two clips that went viral of me on Twitter, of me getting thrown around like a rag doll, I think I'm having a good season. So it's just very frustrating to me to feel that sense of the lack of accountability, just like how you've touched on. It's an issue. It's an issue. And to me, it's a bigger issue than 13 guys being on injured reserve. Yeah, for, for Mike McGlinchey, um, I think he had a, a good game last week. I really do. I went back and watched the game. And I don't think it was as bad as a lot of people were making it out just to be. Um, yeah, you're going to give up a few pressures. Um, I, I thought he had a, a lot better game than the Eagles game and the week before that. So I kind of get what Mike's trying to say is, yeah, he had a few bad weeks. But last week, he had a good game. He, he did. Um, the offensive line didn't play poorly last week. At some point, the quarterback cannot be a statue. Sometimes when you're blocking, and I think this is what they're trying to say, is you have to send your the D lineman inside. You have to send him inside, and the quarterback needs to move his feet. Move the pocket a bit. Move where you can move yourself. And I think they're kind of hinting at that towards the quarterbacks, that, hey, we're do- doing our job sometimes and you guys aren't doing your job. Hey, we're making us look bad at times. Like there was a sack I went back and it was accounted for on um, Trent Williams. His guy beats him inside. So he sl- shoves him inside, but it's right into to Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy needs to feel that pressure and get out. You need to feel it. You, you as a D lineman, if he knifes in, okay, take him inside. Now the pocket is to the outside, but Jimmy stayed still like a statue. So I think Trent Williams and Mike McGinchy are kind of hinting at that, that they're doing their jobs in terms of protection and the quarterbacks back there aren't necessarily moving their feet, moving the pocket. But I would like to see Mike McGinchy just, hey, man, toughen up and just say, hey, I can't give up no pressures. I can't give up no sacks. Plain and simple. Be Want to be an all-pro. Don't be want to be great. Be a, a legend. To your point of McGlinchey, having a better game against the Dolphins than he did in previous weeks. I would agree with that for the most part. As it seemed, it took full three and a half full quarters basically until he finally had that moment where he gave up a sack and looked bad in pass protection. So in the grand scheme of things, yes, that's improvement. But the bottom line is Trent Williams and Mike McGlinchey are both, both of them, are supposed to be cornerstone tackles and they're not playing the part right now. And that's my biggest issue is that if you draft a right tackle top 10, and you're in year three, you have to start being more serious about your areas of growth, the areas that you're struggling in, and really just focus on those areas to be better. Because Mike McGlinchey is going to start costing the 49ers games. He's already started to cost them drives. So in Trent Williams and his pre-snap penalties and him just not looking good, through the first five weeks, Williams does not look like the all-pro left tackle that we thought we were getting. He looked good against Arizona, had that one block where he just ran over someone, steamrolled them. And since that moment against teams with good defensive lines, like the Eagles, like the Dolphins, who don't even have that good of a defensive line, he has not been looking too good. So the offensive line is a huge issue. I'm going to jump into my keys of the game right here, talking about the Rams, and you nailed it. I'm not going to place a rushing total like Raheem Mostert needs to meet X amount of yards. But the run game has got to get going. And a huge key for me is the 49ers need to score first. One way or another, find the ball to get into the end zone first. Score the first touchdown of the game. Score the first field goal of the game. I don't care. The Eagles jumped on the board first two weeks ago. The Dolphins jumped on the board last week. Going back to the Eagles and Dolphins game, the first drive the 49ers had both times was a three and out. They need to have long, sustained drives to beat this Rams team. It's funny because when I did my NFC West preview last week for Sports Illustrated, I did a a little snippet of the Vikings and Seahawks game and what I said the key to the game for the Vikings would be if they want to upset the Seahawks. And they almost pulled it off. I said, control the time of possession battle. Just because Seattle has a bad secondary does not mean you have to attack it. Does not mean that you have to throw the ball 40 times. Because when you throw the ball, the drives are naturally quicker. I said, pound the ball with Dalvin Cook. Have seven, eight, nine-minute drives that translate to points. Keep the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands. He's playing at an MVP level. The less he has the ball in his hands, the less he can hurt you. 
And that has to be the 49ers mentality against the Rams. You have Raheem Mostert. Why did Jarek McKinnon get one carry last week? Jarek McKinnon got one freaking carry. You have a stable of great running backs. If you want to beat the Rams and you're serious about beating the Rams, control the time of possession battle. Run the ball with Raheem Mostert. Run the ball with Jarek McKinnon. Get Jeff Wilson Jr., who looked pretty good last week against the Dolphins, involved more. Have eight-minute drives, nine-minute drives that are 14, 15 plays that get you in the end zone because your defense is going to stay fresh. The fresher your defense is, the more energy they have to come after the quarterback and do their jobs. The Rams have so many weapons, probably the best weapons the 49ers have faced this year. You have Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Gerald Everett, Tyler Higby. They have three running backs that could hurt you in Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, Malcolm Brown. You don't want the Rams offense on the field that much. You want to limit their opportunities. It's the goal every single football game. Keep the opposing offense on the sidelines as much as possible. But it's extremely true here against the Rams because they have all those weapons. Jared Goff is playing good football. They're four and one. This is a good football team with a lot of weapons and the 49ers need to control the time of possession battle, run the ball with Raheem Mostert, and you can't afford to go behind early. Let's say the Rams jump out, score the first touchdown, score the first seven, 10, 14 points of the game. You're in the exact same position you were in last week and you have to throw the ball. The game's over. You have Aaron Donald you have to worry about. They have he leads the league in sacks with seven and a half. They have the most sacks in the NFL time tied with the Steelers with 20. They're averaging the second most sacks per game. Their defensive line is good. And of course, Aaron Donald is the best defensive player in the NFL, if not the best player in the NFL. So the more Jimmy Garoppolo has to throw this game, the less of a chance the team has to win. Yeah, so... I, I think you, you hit everything right there. Um, I would say the reason why Jet McKinnon didn't get as many touches last week is because the 49ers were down early. So since they were down early, Kyle kind of had to try to get out of his offense. And I think what he needs to do is, even if you go down 7-0 to start the game, stick to your offensive game plan. Exactly. So um, Raheem Mostert today, he said that the 49ers, no team respects the 49ers pass game. They want them to pass the ball. So if I'm Kyle Shanahan, I attack the run game. But you know they're going to stack the box. They're going to take that away from you. Your offense must be opened up. So he needs to start, even if you don't trust Jimmy Garoppolo, you need to open up the offense and allow him to throw the ball. Allow him to show the NFL or the coaching staff that he, one, could either throw the ball, or two, he cannot throw the ball, and you need to move on from him. Because yeah. At some point, you need to allow him to do it. You're never going to know if he could do it or not if you don't let him do it. So I think you've already seen it from him last year against the Saints. And for this game against the Rams, it's got to be the wrong approach to put the ball in Jimmy Garoppolo's hands. you got to run the ball and then build off that and allow the run to set up the pass. Once the run is established, get that bootleg going. Get those play actions going. Get Jimmy Garoppolo outside the pocket so he can make decisive decisions on what he wants to do with the ball. I agree with you that we don't know if this team's going to move forward with Jimmy Garoppolo. I feel like this stretch for Garoppolo that's coming up against these elite teams that the team has to face for the next six, seven weeks, this is an audition. It's an audition for Jimmy Garoppolo to prove himself as the 49ers quarterback of the future. Going into this season, I said that there were maybe, maybe five quarterbacks that without a doubt I would take over Jimmy Garoppolo. Only five. Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, and there was one other, Lamar Jackson. Outside of those five, and there might be a quarterback that I'm leaving out, I said Jimmy Garoppolo's not a proven commodity. We've seen what he did last year. Is that his floor? It's his floor to put up nearly 4,000 yards, complete 70% of his passes, throw 28 touchdowns. If that's his floor, I want this guy to be my starting quarterback of the future for years to come, or just my quarterback of the future, because obviously that's what years to come insinuates. But after the first five weeks of this year, I have this sense that that was Pete Garoppolo. That was as good of a Jimmy Garoppolo as you're ever going to see on a football field as what 
he did last year. I don't think his ceiling is much higher than that, which brings us to our next talking point. The Matt Ryan rumors are starting to come about. The Falcons are 0-5. They just fired Dan Quinn. They may be looking to move on from Matt Ryan. Of course, Matt Ryan was an MVP under Kyle Shanahan in 2016. Where do you see Matt Ryan and the 49ers? Are they ever going to come together, or what's your stance on that? So I'm going to talk about real quick, just real quick about the run game. So I don't think Kyle Shanahan can run the ball as much as he wants early in the game because he's going to see an eight-box front. He's going to see eight guys in the box no matter what. They're going to force Jimmy to throw. So I think he needs to have a legit 15 first plays where he leaks out um, Kyle's juice. He leaks out Kittle. He does something creative to get wide open throws to allow the pass game to get going so they could kind of cushion off and allow the run game to get going. But on Matt Ryan, I think it's so, so stupid from NFL media, from fans to say Matt Ryan should be the should be traded for by the 49ers. He comes with a 40 million cap hit. He comes, they're gonna you're gonna have to acquire him. You're gonna have to give up some draft capital or some players. So by doing that, that doesn't make you a better football team right now. It doesn't make you a better football team moving forward. There's too many holes on this team to go out and get Matt Ryan for $40 million. The 49ers could be drafting in the top 10 of this draft. So if I'm drafting top 10, why not just try to trade up and go get the number one quarterback, the number two quarterback in the draft? I'd rather give up that compensation in the draft to go get a young guy that I could mold who's not going to be 36 years old with a $40 million cap hit and build my team around that player and bring in um, other, other players on the defensive side of the ball, like, such as corners or edge rushers, to help Nick Bosa out next year rather than getting an old guy for $40 million. Because I'm telling you right now, a lot of Falcons fans that I've talked to have said, they would be willing to part with Matt Ryan right away. They do not like Matt Ryan and how he's played this year. Well, who would trade for Matt Ryan? I don't think Matt Ryan has a hot market where there's going to be teams lining up to acquire a 35, 36-year-old quarterback with a $40 million cap hit. So I don't know what the draft compensation would be going to Atlanta. The 49ers would not send them their first round pick. That would be the stupidest move John Lynch would arguably have made if they were to do such a thing. If Matt Ryan restructures his contract, I would not mind him. Let's say he restructures his contract somewhere in the ballpark of Jimmy Garoppolo's cap hit. Having Matt Ryan, who is more of a proven quarterback, who's been an MVP, who has played the highest level of football one can play under Kyle Shanahan, at the same price of Jimmy Garoppolo, and then you use that top 10 pick if that's where the 49ers end up picking if they really go through, if they don't handle this difficult stretch coming up well, and they end up with a top 10 pick, you can invest in a quarterback there, have him sit a year or two behind Matt Ryan, who will eventually become a free agent. I think he has an out in his contract after 2021. And again, if you restructure the contract, Brog Marate is great at this kind of stuff. He can create loopholes where you get out of the contract, no problem. So if there was a situation that came about where Matt Ryan's willing to restructure his contract, you don't have to give up first round compensation. It's somewhere in the ballpark of Garoppolo's contract. That's a little more enticing to me, but everything being as is taking Matt Ryan right now with that contract at this stage of his career, no way. I'm not doing it either. See, for me, I wouldn't even try to even, even if Matt Ryan tried to restructure his contract, he's already 36 years old, going to be 36 years old. His arm doesn't look as strong as it once was when he was with Jimmy or Kyle Shanahan a few years back. And if, even if he does restructure that contract, why would a quarter, an aging quarterback restructure a contract that guarantees him $40 million next year? Why would you do that? It doesn't make no sense because now you have no stability moving forward to get the rest of your contract. His out is in 2022. I'm looking at it right now. So he can't, they can't get out of his contract for until 2022. Um, so why would you restructure when you know you have an extra year? Is that the 2022 off season? 
or 2021 at the end of the 2021 season? Because if you can get, I believe if you, it's 2021 season, uh, end of yeah. 20 uh, summer. So when I was on Spot Track earlier, I believed it said the following the 2021 season, which would be next year. There was now in his contract. So regardless, I don't want to pick up Matt Ryan or trade for Matt Ryan with his current cap hit. There would need to be a restructuring going on and you don't give up the trade compensation. I'd rather move forward with Garoppolo than to have to pay Matt Ryan that much money. So well, that's right. Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo's contract, you can get out of it after this year. So when I look at Jimmy Garoppolo's contract, okay, I could save 20 plus million and only have about yep. a 5 million dead cap. So that's why I would look at that. Um, there's a few quarterbacks out there who should be hitting the market who could be quarterbacks that could be potentially a stopgap for Kyle Shanahan. They know his offense. Um, so one of those things where I do like what you said, Matt Ryan could groom the next quarterback of the future. But if you're picking that high in the draft, um, I think Kyle Shanahan would like to use that quarterback right away. So if the team wins this game against the Rams, they're going to be in playoff contention. Three and three, despite the difficult stretch they have coming up. A three and three record through six weeks, you're in a spot to potentially earn a wild card spot, especially with the additional seventh wild card, that seventh playoff spot. So if they win this game, they could potentially be buyers at the deadline. And if they lose this game, they could potentially be sellers at the deadline. Let's talk about them winning this game. Do you think they'd be active around the trade deadline, trying to acquire additional talent to help push them over the edge and supplement for the loss of Nick Bosa and the corners that have been going down? So the NFL trade deadline is November 3rd. Um, I don't think I'm going to be a seller or a buyer at the, at the deadline. I mean, unless I'm under two, two games under 500. The Which is likely. Being, yeah, the reason being is because what draft compensation do you have to give up? Exactly. I mean, you have, you have, they have, 49ers have a first, a second. They don't have their third because they gave that up for Trent Williams. They have a fifth. They should be getting a fifth round compensation pick due to the Emmanuel Sanders signing by the New Orleans Saints. Then they have a sixth and a seventh. So you don't really have much capital. You have a lot of free agents hitting the market this year. Um, if anything, I'd be trying to sell some of the players who could help um, teams such as Trent Williams. I would try to get out of Jimmy Ward's contract and have Tarverius Moore be the safety moving forward. Um, I think he should be starting over Jimmy Ward in the first place. He has more range, and he's the eraser. For me, Jimmy Ward should have never allowed that Preston Williams touchdown. He's supposed to be the eraser in this defense. He allowed it. I don't think he should be playing that position. Yeah. Should not be playing well, nickel quarterback. Can't play man to man. Well, I don't know what you're going to do with Jimmy Ward because the team gave him the big contract. Jaquaski Tart's playing like the better safety right now, and he's a free agent at the end of the year. And in my opinion, they just completely screwed up with Tarvarius Moore. They don't know where to play him. He's not a priority to get on the field. He looks so good in the Super Bowl. Had a pa two passes defense, an interception on Patrick Mahomes. It's like, where is the urgency to get this third-year player that you invested a third-round draft pick to get on the field? Why are you not trying to get him on the wheels? Get uh, the field, excuse me. Get creative with finding a way to have him play defense. Instead, he's played like 7% of the snaps. And Bill Barnwell from ESPN earlier today had an article where he proposed various trades across the NFL. There were two 49er trades that stood out to me. The first one was trading Tarverius Moore to the Browns because they're having a safety crisis in Cleveland where they're looking to add a safety, which Tarverius Moore is, for David Njoku. And I like that because, one, you're not playing more. How much longer are you going to give yourselves to develop him because you're putting the player in a position to be unsuccessful? You're not putting him in a position to succeed. You're having him ride the bench, play mostly on special teams. You're not giving him opportunities on the field. You've already gave Jimmy Ward a three-year contract, so two more years after this season. You are getting to the point where you need to look at getting something in return for more, who's a set to be a free agent next year. 
two years. No. The, the, the year after next. And he has he has the third year on his contract. Next year will be his fourth. Then he's set to be a free agent. David Njoku was a first-round pick. Jordan Reed's not – well, Njoku's not healthy either. But Jordan Reed is a lot older, has injury concerns. Pairing George Kittle and David Njoku would be a tremendous idea in my opinion. The second trade – or you go ahead and touch on that trade before we talk about the second one. So – the, the Joku has in, um, injury history, too. He has a, a lower back problem he's had in 2017. He's had a broken ha- a wrist. Um, but for me, the reason why they don't let go of Tararius Moore in any trades is because we know how delicate Jimmy Ward's body is. He could go out and practice at any moment, go on a game at any moment. So I think that's what Tararius Moore necessarily is. He's the safety blanket for their signing. Um, I but you don't you, you don't invest a third round pick for someone to be a backup in the third round, like a long term backup. It's just not a wise draft investment. It's not, but they also did that with TJ Beathard. So, I mean, and was that was that a wise draft investment either? Of no. course not. But for me, I think Tarverius Moore should be starting over Jimmy Ward. He's the better talent. Um, but does it come down to who Robert Sala prefers? Because when you listen to how the coaching staff talks about Jimmy Ward. They talk about him as this character guy and how he's a leader and all this. They don't really talk about his talent. They don't ever they ever talk about how he's a playmaker or anything. Like when you hear coaches they talk, talk about how they talk they talk about how they can line him up all over the field. And in, in Jimmy Ward's defense, he had a tremendous 2019 season. He's just struggling out of the gates, I'd say, after getting the big contract. I mean, how can he really line him up all over the field when all you could really line him up at is deep safety and he doesn't make plays there? He's a liability in man-to-man covers as a nickel cornerback. So where do you really put if, him on the field? If if you actually look at the their snaps where they're lining up, him and Jaquaski Tart have actually been pretty interchangeable in the sense that both of them have been lining up as the single high and in the box. And Ward has that nickel coverage ability as well. Although he has not been doing a good job of it, you can line him up all over the field, but he's been extremely underachieving. To your point, he's having a down year. It's just like you've paid him all of this money. How are you going to get Tavarius Moore on the field? And it should be a priority. you got to get creative. Matt Barr responded to one of my tweets earlier today, and he was like, where's the three safety look that we saw in the Super Bowl? Because it was effective. And I agree with that. The team has to get creative with what they're doing with Tavarius Moore. You're just wasting him on the sidelines, and he's in his third year. That 2018 draft is looking horrific, except for Fred Warner. God bless Fred Warner because Mike McGlinchey is looking horrific. Good and like you can't say you're doing your job well if you're doing half of it well. Yes, you're good in you're a good run blocker, but in pass protection, you stink. You cannot be good at your job unless you're doing both of the things you're supposed to be doing, both your responsibilities at an above average level. And then you have Dante Pettis. Dante Pettis, his time's coming to an end. He was also involved in a trade in that ESPN article. Then you have Fred Warner and Tarverius Moore. And within those first four picks, right now Fred Warner is the only player that's worth mentioning. Yeah, I agree. But getting back to to being a buyer or seller, what would you do? Would you try to buy or would you try to sell? That's a, It depends on what position the team is in. We've talked about this on the previous pods that if there are two games below 500 at the trade deadline, I'm looking to the future. The season's done. You're not going to recover being three and five if that's roughly where they're at around the trade deadline and make the playoffs. So I'm looking to move players that are having expiring contracts. That's Tevin Coleman. That's Jaquaski Tart, although that's not someone that I would personally trade because I feel like you need to resign him for the sake of continuity in the defensive backfield. Trent Williams, he's been underwhelming at left tackle, but left tackle is a very difficult position to fill. In the past, he's been a cornerstone left tackle, an all-pro left tackle. But if you can get first, second round draft compensation for him, that's something you got to look into. Richard Sherman. I don't know if anybody would trade for him at this point, but I don't see him coming back to the 49ers next year. So basically, what I mean by being a seller at the trade deadline, if this team is a few games under 500, is you're trying to get something in return for guys that you know you're not going to bring back next year. So that's just what I mean by that. But then on the other hand, if 
they're 500 or maybe they pull off a couple upsets in the next couple weeks. They're underdogs for the first time this season, by the way. They're underdogs next week against the Patriots. I looked ahead on the ESPN app and they play Seattle in Seattle and you figure they'll be underdogs there. So if they pull off a couple of upsets and they're around 500 or even above 500, you don't have the draft compensation this year to really make any moves. There was a trade from that same article that sent Dante Pettis and a fifth round pick to the Washington football team for Ryan Kerrigan. And that's an enticing trade. He plays the edge position. He's very quietly been one of the best edge rushers of the last decade, has 90, over 90 sacks over the course of the last 10 years. So it would be a move like that where you're not giving up serious draft compensation this year. It's not going to be an Emmanuel Sanders type move where you're giving up a third round pick or whatever it was, a third and a fifth round pick. You have late round picks to work with because you're not trading your first or second round pick. You don't have a third round pick. And then maybe, maybe if you really feel like there's a player out there that can push this team over the edge, if you're Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and the team is serious about a playoff push and making a run in the playoffs, then maybe you dabble with the 2022 draft compensation. But as of right now, we just don't know what direction it's going to go. Yeah, I don't see them making any moves um, as a buyer, only because they don't have compensation to give up, and I don't think they're a good enough team to win the Super Bowl. So why try to? Yeah, you're going to make the playoffs if you as a wild card, but are you really going to win the Super Bowl with those players you traded for? No. So why even go give away draft compensation when this team needs this compensation desperately? They need to be able to bring in a couple corners in the draft, some linemen in the draft. Um, So there's a lot of things that they need to look forward to. So if I'm the 49ers, I'm going to get heat for this. I put up Trent Williams on the trade block starting tonight. The reason being, not because I don't think he's not playing well or anything. I don't think the 49ers have a good enough roster to make the playoffs this year. They they're but, banged, yeah, they're banged up. But you think they're beating the Rams on Sunday? Yes, I do. The Bec- only reason why is because they're desperate team, and when desperate teams are playing, like I said with the Eagles, desperate teams get desperate. They do desperate things. So they're gonna find a way to win. But I believe that the reason the offensive line is not playing as good as it should be is because of Trent Williams. I think he has this mentality and he's had this mentality since he was with the Washington football team that he is great and he does nothing wrong. Out of nowhere, this entire offensive line has been saying this. The team has been saying this. Is it because they brought in someone from another team who thinks like that versus the team last year who was, we have this this ideal of a team where we hold each other to the highest standard. So that's where I kind of am a conspiracy theorist in a way that he could be the reason why this offense line isn't playing so well. I disagree. I don't think it's fair to pin this on Trent Williams, especially because on the other side of the line, you have Mike McGlinchey who's playing 10 times worse. And Williams has been pretty bad at moments at various moments throughout the season as well. And you can't look to trade him right now. So I think it's a bit extreme to place him on the trade block like right now, right this instant, because if you string together a couple of wins before the trade deadline, you are in a position to be a playoff team. And Trent Williams has been a very good left tackle, all pro left tackle. He missed the entire 2019 season. It's not an excuse for his play because he looked good against the Cardinals, the Jets and the Giants. But I still think his best football days of the season are ahead of him. So it would be foolish to trade him right now, right this instant. But again, that could trade in the coming weeks if that could change in the coming weeks, excuse me, if the team is two games under 500 or so. But as of right now, there's no reason to trade Trent Williams right this instant. And to your point of the mentality that you're doing no wrong, I don't think it's Trent Williams. I think it's Kyle Shanahan and his inability to admit when he's wrong and his inability to admit his own struggles and what his challenges are. 
I think that it is trickling down to the players. And now players are starting to have that same mentality where you have guys like Mike McGlinchey, where if you just erase two clips that you see on Twitter, my season's actually very good. No, it's not. It's incorrect. And a lot. But the thing is, well, I'm going to make an argument real quick, Nick, because everyone says Mike McGlinchey is having a terrible season, but then they say Trent Williams is great. Trent Williams is having the same exact season as Mike McGlinchey. It's Trent Williams has been terrible in the rushing game. He's been not that great in pass pro. So in reality, we have two Michael Glinches on each side. Yeah, why well, wouldn't disagree with that? So I was. T- why wouldn't you? If, if we're if we're so negative on Mike McGlinchey, why not throw up Trent Williams, who has more trade value than Mike McGlinchey? Well, they're the same player. Uh, no one's saying not to. I'm saying that you can't do it right now, based on you still have hope this season. And once that hope goes out the window, once you know you're in a position where you can't make the playoffs, then that's where you make the move. But no team in their right mind wants to go into the playoffs trading their left tackle and all of a sudden plug in Justin School or Dan Brunskill. You have Trent Williams. It's a foolish decision to do right now, which is my point. You're right. Williams is struggling just as much as Mike McGlinchey. They are the two, they're the two most disappointing individuals on the team this year. Their seasons have both been disappointing. Fans the team thought they were getting an all-pro left tackle at Trent Williams. He has not looked half the part. Mike McGlinchey, your top 10 pick from two years ago, two, three years ago. He's in his third season. Does not look like a top 10 pick. He's looking extremely bad. I'm not saying to try to trade Mike McGlinchey. I'm saying if the season is not looking bright two, three weeks from now, you're two games under 500, you look to move players who you know are not going to be a part of your future and get something in return for them, which potentially could be Trent Williams. Why I, I agree. Him- I agree what you're saying. I wouldn't, me personally, I over-exaggerated. I wouldn't move him right away. But <laughs> if they, if, but if they lose this weekend, he's on the trade block for me. The reason being is he, you, he's playing as, as great as Mike McGlinchey and Mike McGlinchey is playing terribly. So for me, it's, I, I, I don't see, Trent Williams paying off at all. And I would go try to get a second rounder for him right away. Yeah. Again, if you're three and five, two and six around the trade deadline, I'm trying, I think the trade deadlines after week eight, shortly after, or maybe the week of. So the 49ers it's, it's record. November 3rd, be, we're in week five or six right now. Six, seven, eight. Yeah. It would be the week, the couple days after week eight. A couple days after the conclusion of week eight. So if you're in that position, you're sitting with a two and six or three and five record, your odds to making the playoffs are slim to none. So at that point, I'm picking up the phone. I'm seeing who's willing to offer what for Trent Williams. If you get something enticing enough, you may pull the trigger there. But again, left tackles a premium position. Left tackles like Trent Williams don't grow on trees. The guy is a year removed from playing professional football, missed all of last season. And I do think his best days are still in front of him. But we're on the same page, that this is a player you look to move if the season's not going accordingly in a couple more weeks. Ha, all right. You, you said that he's a year removed from, from football. How many games does he need to get back into a rhythm? It's already been five games. Yeah, I, no, I, I agree with that. No, but, I agree with that. So uh, I, I mean, when I look at Trent Williams, I mean, yeah, he's Trent Williams. He's had great plays. He's had... Some plays where he's looked elite. But for me, I do not think he's played that much better than what we could get out of Justin School. And that says a lot to his play. No, that says a lot to his play, Nick, because to who? To whose play? To to Trent Williams. He's been terrible in run blocking. And in pass pro, he hasn't been the elite offensive tackle that everyone was talking about in training camp. Was it because he was in training camp and he was blocking Nick Bosa that he already knew his moves or what was the case? Because at some point he needs to show that he's an elite left tackle again for what they traded for. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we'll have those moments as the season progresses, but that may not be over the course of a 16 game season. If the team moves on from him around the trade deadline. So Justin school, I know he stepped in admirably last year. I just have a hard time agreeing that school can step in and play to the same level 
as Trent Williams. And it's a little confusing and baffling how the offensive line has taken such tremendous steps back when everybody figured it would be a huge upgrade getting Trent Williams over Joe Staley. And Joe Staley, the leadership right now is being missed as much as his ability to play the left tackle position. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the reason why I think Justin School could step in and do the same as as Trent Williams is because Trent Williams has nothing to lose. He's getting paid this year. He knows he's going to see $16 million a year, even if he doesn't play that great because of his name and his, re- his resume that he has. Justin School has something to prove. He has something to prove in the NFL. So I think Justin School is hungry, and I think this is what the team needs. They need a spark of life. They need someone who, like, for example, Jamichael Hasty. He should be playing. He could give the 49ers offense a spark of life, something new. And that's what we're lacking. We don't have nothing new. Brandon Ayuk gave them a spark of life when he did that hurdle. Someone new. So that's what I'm kind of leaning towards. Um, even if they decide to trade Mike McGlinchey, I think Justin School could step in and play great for at right tackle and have Trent Williams on the other side. But I don't see in the future, even if the 49ers make the playoffs, I'm not paying Trent Williams no 17, 18 million a year. Yeah. If they make the playoffs and he really picks up his play, you have to pay him that because you can't just find you can't find another left tackle unless you don't want a quarterback. You have to pick and choose. Nope. I, I, I would I would look in the draft. There's a lot of there's well what where are you gonna where are you gonna where are you gonna draft them? You could draft an offense lineman even if you make the playoffs. They're gonna they're not gonna they're not gonna go far in the playoffs. They're gonna be picking around twenty. You could find a starting offensive tackle in this draft around that range. This draft okay great. Is so, deep. so let me get this straight. So let me get this straight. Then you're not gonna get your quarterback. Then you're no, you move would, forward obviously, with Jimmy Garoppolo. Obviously, you would have to move forward with Jimmy Garoppolo. If Jimmy Garoppolo so takes you into you the to, playoffs. If Jimmy Garoppolo takes him into the playoffs, that means he's playing at a high enough level to keep because the offense is not going to get going. If they make the playoffs, this offense has to be clicking on all cylinders, and that's because Jimmy's throwing, slinging the ball. So you, that means point. you would, have to, agree you would with that. have to go with offensive tackle and let Trent Williams walk. And then, Or you just sign Trent Williams because you have tons of problems in your secondary. I'd rather than bring back Trent Williams, who is an established left tackle, and then drop the corner. Quick question. How high are you on Emmanuel Mosley? Not as high as others. I think Emmanuel Mosley is a solid cornerback. Is Jason he a solid Brett, number two? Yes, but you don't have a number one. So check this 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 draft, and I've been digging, and it's kind of weird because I got upset that the 49ers got their butts embarrassed last week. So I started digging into film. There's this class is deep at offensive line and corner. So I was looking, I was like, oh, I could find a corner in the second round. And I could find an offensive tackle in the first round, or I could go if we're drafting heck of high quarterback, and it would change a lot yeah. of things. So I don't. Two, with two the positions pre- are high at with the premium positions. If Garoppolo leads us to the playoffs, leads the 49ers to the playoffs, it is going to be him leading the way because just like you said, the offense is going to be firing on all cylinders. It's tough, so tough. This team hasn't drafted a tackle, a left tackle since Joe Staley. Mike McGlinchey, look what happened. You find tackles sometimes that don't often pan out in the first round, but you also ideally find your blue chips tackles, your cornerstone tackles early on in the draft. We've seen it time and time again. It's a hit or miss. Colton Miller on the Raiders. He's like the exact opposite of Mike McGlinchey. He's excelling in pass protection. He has like one of the worst run blocking grades on pro football focus. So you got to kind of pick and choose your poison. I personally... Don't want to see any more investments in the trenches in the first round. It's just like, come on, give us a cornerback in the first round. You invest in every other position besides cornerback, and it costs you. And the cornerbacks you do select, the cornerbacks you do draft, they don't pan out. You put Akella Witherspoon in a terrible position throughout his career. He struggled with consistency, and arguably because he was getting on the field at an inconsistent rate. And then you had Rashard Robinson to bring his name up. He was drafted in the fourth round of 2016. He played great as a rookie. Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch traded him for a fifth-round pick, a bag of peanuts, like seven games into the 2017 season. Then you have Tarvarius Moore and DJ Reed, and they just can't develop cornerbacks, and it's going to have to be a blue-chip prospect if you can find one, a Marshawn Lattimore, or who's not even having that great of a season, but 
a Denzel Ward. Those guys go extremely high in the draft. I'm trying to think. Tredavious White, he went not so high in the first round of his draft towards the bottom half. If you can find a cornerback like that in the first round, you got to grab him. It's what the defense is missing. Even even if the 49ers elect to not keep Trent Williams, and but they make the playoffs, they could let go of Jimmy Garoppolo, save $20 million there. They could cut, uh, not will not resign Trent Williams, and they could be in play for like a Dak Prescott, um, a Ronnie Stanley who's going to be a free agent. So there's players out there. Yeah, uh, Ronnie Stanley most likely will be franchise tagged. Dak Prescott, there's likely he'll be franchise tagged. Again? Is that going to be the third time? Uh, I believe the second. I believe it'd be his second. But I think he's, if he gets franchise tagged, he's forcing his way out. And the way, the, the, way the, the Cowboys did him and he ended up getting injured, he would force his way out. That's a guy you could target as a quarterback if you don't want to go into the draft. He's a good quarterback. So there's things that like I've been thinking like the last week and it's been making me really stressed out because I just want this team to be winning again. Yeah. All right, let's wrap things up with predictions. Um, 49ers pull out a, a tough nail biter, 24 to 21. <clears throat> Life, it's tough. It's tough for me. It really just depends on the first 10 minutes of the game. The first quarter will tell you everything you need to know. If the 49ers are able to establish the run, they get they score first their chances of winning are so much more favorable. But if the Rams score first, you're playing from behind, this game can very easily turn into a blowout. I'm going to hold off. I'm going to voice my right to not throw out. Nah, man. You got to give it. You got to give it, Nick. I'm not. Not doing it. You got to give it. All right. I can't. Do you think it'll be a close game or a blowout? If the ground game's going, yes, it will be close. If the Rams score first, I'll leave it at that. If the Rams score first, this can get ugly. The 49ers need to score first. And you know what? I projected them to win. I predicted them to win the last two weeks, actually every single game this season. So maybe not throwing out a prediction can bring some sort of, have some sort of positive effect on the game. We'll see how it goes. This concludes episode 11. I think we're on 11 now, 11 episodes deep in the Faithful Fanatic pod. Thank you guys for tuning in.